your Bibles, we are in uh, Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14. Alright. Alrighty, so Acts chapter 14, unshakable message. That's what we're going to be looking at this morning. Um, so let me preface it just by uh, talking a little bit about uh, just sort of the idea of being unshakable, being solid, being committed. So I think it was maybe a couple of years ago when I was uh, still coaching high school basketball, we had a, uh, what we called a team overnight, and during the team overnights we would do Bible studies and talk about stuff, and it was, just, it was a lot of fun. And so during this particular study we were going around, kind of circle, just talking about uh, the traits and characteristics of people that they admire, that they like in their lives. So I told them really to first think about who they like, who they kind of admire, and who they look up to. And then, after that, just kind of think about their characteristics, some of those traits that they have. And then we kind of did a study after that. But one common theme or themes that came up quite a bit was uh, this issue of somebody, they liked being around somebody who was focused, somebody who was determined, somebody who was committed, uh, someone that just always kind of stayed kind of level, wasn't really high up, wasn't really, really low. There's just someone that could just really stay committed on a straight course and just really couldn't shake them. They're solid. And uh, I know even a lot of my friends, there's a couple of older people that were there too, you know, my age anyways, that were there. And uh, some of the ones that we put too, the, the, the people also contain those characteristics. And it was pretty interesting uh, to see that and to see how people respond to that and how people notice and how they kind of latch on to that. And I know that, you know, people I think of, you know, they have that. I like to be around those people. They're encouraging to be around and it just kind of picks you up. And movies have done a great job as far as portraying this. Now, I don't know really for females, but I know for males, um, if you had to uh, think about a movie clip that you really like or that inspires you or that gets you going and that it's just like you, you like jump in there with them and, and even some of those clips you don't even really need to see the clip right away you could just hear the music and it's just it's already bringing you to that place where like yeah I'm, gonna, I'm going for this thing like whatever it is and sometimes they listen to it you know before a game or before some kind of event just to pump themselves up and get them ready and so one clip that definitely sticks out and like I, get, like I said before I don't know if it's really for females but for males uh, Rocky like come on you hear that music come on and you know it's go time <laughs> and you see him in that clip and he's by himself and it doesn't really matter which, which episode. Each one. He's by himself. He's grunting out, grinding it out, doing all the hard work, doesn't have the fancy stuff. He's chasing chickens. He's climbing the hill. You know, he's doing absurd amounts of push-ups. Like, he is focused. He's committed. He's solid. He's going to bring all that to the ring. doesn't matter what happens, but he's doing everything he possibly can, maximizing everything that small, you know, unskilled southpaw has. He's bringing everything he has to the table, no matter what it is, and nothing's going to shake him. He's just going to go for it. He's going to go for it. I love those type of scenes. You know, they're inspiring. From the movie Pursuit of Happiness, you have Will Smith. And I love at the end of that movie where he comes out, I don't know if you've seen it, I'll try not to ruin it, I don't know if I can do that, but at the, end of the, at the end of the movie there's a scene where he comes out from a job interview he has, and he just comes out and he's got his hands in the air and he just starts walking with his head down. Powerful scene if you watch the movie and it's just, 
It's a scene that portrays all his hard work, being committed, trying to provide for his family, not stopping at anything, and really not being shaken. And he had all kinds of things in life that just, as you watch the movie, it's like, oh man, I can't believe that guy came out even close to the top. But he came out and at the end of the movie, he just clapped his hands like, I did it, we pulled through. And it just inspires you. It's like, man, these guys just won't be shaken. You love to see the perseverance and just the determination to get it done. And so this morning, we're going to read about two guys maybe that probably wouldn't come to your head as someone who's really determined, focused, in the trenches, doing the hard work. Paul and Barnabas? Maybe they come to your mind. I don't know. They don't come to my mind really right away. But these guys were living the life. Like these were guys were kind of outlaws. They were on the road. They had no money. I mean, they had no idea where their next meal was coming from. They didn't know where they were going to stay next. They show up someplace. They kick them out. They go back to the next place. Uh, they probably know they're going to get a bad response from people. I mean, these, these are some bad boys. They were some bad boys with a rough life. It was not easy. So we're going to take a look at their message today, and we're going to take a look at some aspects about that message that can help us out here in 2011. So we'll pick up Acts chapter 14, and basically we just talked about their bad boys. At the end of 13, they just left the previous town, where basically they kicked them out, and they're saying, hey, let's go into the next spot. So Acts chapter 14, it says, At Iconium... Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Gentiles believed. And we read before from last week, this is kind of their MO. This is kind of the way they operate. If they're going into a town where there's Jewish people, there's a synagogue, and so they go in there, they sit, and then usually they're asked to speak, and then they kind of give their message. So they're keeping to that same MO. And what happens when they go here, they speak so effectively that a great number of Jews and Gentiles believed. So in verse 2, it says, But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So again, we see opposition coming on the scene. And let me just pause there for a minute. I think on the uh, next slide here, hopefully it'll come up. We'll keep that map up there. We'll come back to it. But again, where they're at is they're kind of in this region, like right over here in the green over there. But we'll come back to that. So, so verse 3. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord who confirmed the message of His grace by enabling them to do miraculous signs and wonders. So these guys are there. It was taken effectively at first, but then some people came in and kind of you know, perverted it a little bit, make it difficult to follow, difficult to understand. And so Paul and Barnabas, recognizing that some people did actually take it and took it well, they didn't just show up there and say, oh, how many people can we get saved? How many people can we convert? And then just head out of there. They cared about the people that were there. Right? There was a word called discipleship. Right? They were there discipling the ones that were there. They didn't give up on them. And it really paints a true picture of the heart of Paul and Barnabas. They weren't really concerned about how many notches and about how many numbers they could report back to their home base. They really cared about the hearts and the lives of these people that were there. Because they also had to make the decision that if we stay here, we're still going to get opposition from these people. But it said that they boldly, right, implying that there was definitely opposition to what they were doing, they were boldly giving forth the name of Jesus. And as they did that, what did God do? He gave them credibility and he confirmed what God was doing by performing, again, miraculous signs and miraculous wonders. 
And many times in the Bible, that's the way it goes. The word has gone out, and then the signs and wonders confirm it. Sometimes it gets confusing when the signs and wonders come first, and then you never really hear the word. Sometimes that can be confusing. So in verse 4, it says, The people of the city were divided. And so many times that's what happens when Jesus comes on the scene and the message of Jesus Christ is there. It says, Some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. There is a plot afoot among the Gentiles and Jews together with their leaders to mistreat them and stone them. But they found out about it and fled to these other cities of Lystra and Derbe and to the surrounding country where they continued to preach the good news. Right, And this happened last time too. Last time they were in there, it started off well, some people came in, stirred them up, and they're like, well, it's just going to be time to go. Shook the dust off their feet, then they left. Then they get to here. Started off well, kind of things are going good, got difficult again. Then they heard that they were going to get stoned. They weren't threatened with stoning last time, but they are this time. And so now they're like, oh, they sneak out of there. They get out. And so what happens is on this map, we talked about before, they're in that green area. And that green area, if you look up top, it's called Galatia, right? And so in the Bible, there's a book called the Book of Galatians. And it's really a region. It wasn't one particular place. It was a region that had these different towns like Lystra, Derby, uh, Pisidian, Antioch, all these other places that were there in Galatia. And actually, during this trip that we're reading about, in this region of Galatia, that's when Paul met this guy Timothy. Right? So it's like it all kind of comes together. This is the first time he met Timothy, which was also in this region. And so when they took off where they were, they were kind of up here and they kind of shot down here. So they kind of went southeast a little bit. And so let's see what happens in Lystra and Derby. So it says, In Lystra, there sat a man crippled in his feet, who was lame from birth and had never walked. And so if we flashback just really quick, it's really familiar to a story that had to do with Peter. Remember he was coming up to the temple and the guy was asked for money. He said, listen, gold or silver, I don't have. But in the name of Jesus, just get up and walk with another lame man. So, and so now we see, with Paul, another lame man episode. So in verse 9 it says, He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed. You know, and i got to pause there, of course, because it's like, what does that look look like? like how can you look at someone and just know, hey, they got the faith to be healed? Um... I don't know. you got to probably think that it was something in Paul's spirit when he saw him that just gave him the check where it said, hey, act on my behalf for this man and heal him. And so in verse 10 it says, And he called out, Stand up on your feet. Similar to when Peter did it before. Now we know when Peter did it before, it said he didn't look at him and saw that the guy had faith. He just told him just to do it. So it's tough to put God in a box sometimes as far as when he's going to heal and how he's going to do things. With Peter... It was just, hey, get up on your feet and walk. I don't have gold on silver. Get up and walk. Over here, Paul looks at him and he says, well, I saw that he has faith to be healed. It's tough to put God in the box and to figure him out. But it's nice to know that he has enough power to do it. So it says, at that, the man jumped up and began to walk. Of course, you're going to get a reaction here. So verse 11, when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, The gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. The priest uh, of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city 
gates because he and the crowd want to offer sacrifices to them. So things are getting out of hand here. Out of hand. Now, this is interesting. Uh, I was reading a couple of commentaries and listening to some things this week. If you put yourself in the place of Paul and Barnabas right now, this is probably like the sort of biggest positive response they can get. Right? They are really getting just a lot of accolades, um, a lot of press coming in the direction, and so much so that they want to you know, sacrifice to them. And so, you know, if you just read through it, this is a pivotal, pivotal part as far as Paul and Barnes's ministry. I mean, if they take this the wrong way here, things could really get ugly really fast. And you know, like in 2011, if, if you, you know, you got an opportunity to be on camera and be famous for a little while and have a lot of people like you and follow you, you know, you, you can make some compromises and uh, justify a lot of things to make that happen. This is pivotal for these guys, pivotal. So let's see how they react, right? Unshakable. You see them right here, unshakable. Verse 14. It says, But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of this, they tore their clothes. Here's their response. They tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd. What are you doing? We're only men, humans like you. We're bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made heaven and earth and sea and everything in them. In the past, He let all nations go their own way, yet He has not left Himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their season. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Then some Jews came from Antioch, right, these Jews, right, they just like are following them around, you know, just giving them a hard time. Some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. Here it goes again. What happens? They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day he and Barnabas left for Derby. couple interesting things. The reaction number one, tore their clothes, what are you doing? Let's get this thing right. Like this, no, we are not these gods. The whole idea is that we're pointing to the real true God. He's just using us to do these things. And that's always what we're called to do when God works our lives, especially in a powerful way. But so very often it's very difficult when it has been in a powerful way. Don't you just want a little bit of credit? That's ah, because I prayed a little bit more this week. I was a little bit more obedient. I was a little bit nicer. Gave a little bit more money. Sometimes it works out like that, you know, and you try and give a little something, but they weren't like that. didn't phase them like that. But these Jews come from Antioch and Iconium. They're probably just this crowd that's been following them, just kind of coming on their curtails, looking to pervert something and mess things up. And it's interesting, this is the third case where they're going to you know, encounter some difficulty. The first time, these guys came around and they said, well, it's just time for us to leave. They're not receiving it well. Shook the, the dust off their feet and took off. Next time, right, they came and they heard of the stoning and they took off. Now this last time, they actually do, Paul does get stoned. It's first time ever. First time ever he gets stoned and it's right here. So it's like, what was God doing? Like he told them before, they were able to get away, that then it happened. And again, it's just another picture of God. You can't put him in a box. He just speaks and does things a different way. Why would he warn him before and then let it happen now? I mean, I don't know. Why does God do that stuff sometimes? You just don't know. It's tough to put him in a box. 
Another interesting thing from the passage is that they stone him and dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. And it's my personal opinion that he probably was dead. And it doesn't say that. It's just my personal opinion. So you don't have to take that, but I mean, hey, it's my feeling. Can't do anything with my feelings, right? They're my feelings. So it's my feeling that he died. Now, here's why I say this, and you don't have to buy it, but it's interesting. On the next slide, I think we have a verse in 2 Corinthians that Paul himself writes, which most likely refers back to this episode. You know, really all the pastors, commentaries think so, and that's usually a common belief in the Christian circle. It says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I don't know. But God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, uh, was caught up to paradise. He heard inexpressible things, things that man is not permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I'll never boast about myself except about my weakness. And so what he does, he basically talks about right, a death experience. And he says, something happened 14 years ago, I don't know, I went up to this third heaven, you know, what is that all about? That'll be another Sunday. Um, caught up, to, and he said it was like paradise. He heard inexpressible things that he just couldn't even tell. And it's just like, you know, his feeling was that it was so unbelievable. I, I can't put words in it. If I tried to, it would just do such a disservice. It would really it would be like a sin for me to really try and tell you about it. It's just inexpressible. And maybe that was at this time right here when he was stoned. I mean, as you read through the Gospels, he was stoned one time, really this close to death, and maybe this was that time that he was writing about, you know, in the book of 2 Corinthians. And so it's very interesting how we come across that um, and to see what that dynamic is. And then it says, while he's there, his disciples gather around him. And you got to imagine, that was a prayer circle right there, you know? Are they all holding hands around him? Did they like, have hands on him? Like, how did that happen? And, you know, they're praying. And then he comes back too. And what did they do? He goes back into the city. These guys aren't going to be shaken. They're not going to be moved. Like, you can't rattle these guys. They are solid and staying solid. It says, in the next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby, another place still in that area of Galatia. So let's pick up in 21. It says, They preached the good news in that city, this area of Derby, and they won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, Antioch. They returned to all these other towns where they were before, where they left, where it was dangerous, where they had threats of stoning, or where they did get stoned, or people didn't receive it well. And why did they go back? Because again, it's a picture of Ball and Barnabas. They want to build these guys up. It wasn't just enough to go there and say, oh, we got some Christians, here we go, and then took off and never saw them again. He keeps going back to them, trying to build them up in the faith. And that's like our role as a church. Right? We want to have people come to church, not just so they just commit their lives and we just drop them. We want them to commit their lives to Christ. We just want to help build them up, cultivate that relationship, give them a better understanding of how God wants us to live our lives. How does the Bible actually apply? All of those things are something that the church needs to do. And that's the focus of Paul and Barnabas. So they go back to these places. And here's their response to how does all this happen? Why are these bad things happening to these good people? Why are the bad things happening to these faithful Christians? Their response is, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Hey, sometimes it comes with the territory. 
It says, Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church, and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord, in whom they had put their trust. After going through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. Right, They went to all these places. And then verse 26 said they sailed back to Antioch. Home base, their home church. The one that sent them out, they came back. Where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them. Just probably a huge celebration. Kind of like what we're going to do next Sunday a little bit with Easter, celebrating what God has done with people's lives. And how He had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles and they stayed there a long time with the disciples. So they come back and they poured everything on their trip back. They hit up all the areas they were in before. And uh, the whole time, these guys are not shaken. They're not moved. I mean, that's just the thing that's just is glaringly obvious to me. And that sticks out. And no matter what happened, they had the same mission, the same purpose. You couldn't shake these guys. So, one thing I think that begs to be answered, and one question that absolutely comes up is, why was their message unshakable? You know, I mean, I think you've got to ask that question. I mean, look at these guys. Look at what they were doing. Look what God is doing through them. At least from what we're reading... And from what we see, it seems pretty unshakable. I mean, who knows what it was really like in their own private time with God. Um, You know, not all the time do we share with people and tell people all the ups and downs that's really going on inside of us where it's just a battle. We just feel beaten down. We have so much doubt and just goes up and down. And you got to assume they probably had some of that, but they didn't let it take over. They didn't let it take over. So, why was their message unshakable? So here's one part. We'll look at two parts. Here's one part I think that helps answer that question. It says, the message did not change based on their blank or based on other people's blank. Right? So we've got to fill in those blanks. So the message did not change based on their circumstances or based on other people's reactions. Right? The message did not change based on their circumstances, or based on other people's reactions. It's easy in life to be up when things are going good. And it's easy in life to be down when things are going bad. They had a good ability to separate the two, at least from what we can see, because they just kept going after it. In fact, they would even continue to revisit the places that were difficult for them. Comfort wasn't really their number one goal. Their number one goal is fulfilling the mission that God sent them to do. We have to go out. We have to go do this. God put on our hearts. We've got to reach these people. However they take it, they take it. And we talked last week about, you know, these guys were not controlled by the fear of man and what people thought about them. Because they had both sides of it. Not all the time do we get both sides. Sometimes we just worry about the one side. We're like, well, what are they going to think? What are they going to say? Ah, oh, man, I'm just not going to bring it up. It's just going to be annoying and stressful, and I just don't even want to go there, right? These guys had both sides, the positive and the negative, where they were built up to think like gods, where they're about to get some sacrifices, and you can't really get any higher than what they had. But then they also had the other side where they got stoned. I mean, they just... And if you base... You know, if they got in a huddle and they kind of conference each time and talked about things, they based on the people's responses, they would be all over the map. All over the map. 
But that wasn't their, their, that wasn't their evaluation. I mean, that's not how they were looking at this thing. How are people going to you know, receive it and what's really going to happen to us? And their circumstances always change. They're in different places and they had to keep traveling around and that's just what God called them to do. So partly why their message was certainly unshakable was because they were extremely focused. And that's why I like those scenes from those movies because in the movie, and that's why, you love it when they're true. I mean, Rocky was fake, you know. But Pursuit of Happiness, that was a true story. And so you see these guys with just this in life where just things are just, and, but they got this focus and they got this determination on what they got to do to get something done. The other stuff is peripherals. They're able to separate that and just go for it. And in the process of that, they persevere. You know, and so that's part of what makes their message absolutely unshakable. And for us as humans, uh, you know, that follow Christ, and in a world where, you know, being accepted and having people like you, um, you know, that's tough. It's really tough because so many times, I mean, especially if you're someone that's afraid of conflict and afraid of difficult situations, it can make it complicated. So, one other reason why... And, uh, their message was unshakable, was that they possessed the ability to customize the message, right? They're able to customize it. You know, you've had custom work and custom things done where it's just, you know, whatever your particular situation is, whether it's housework or on a car, you know, we've always seen it a lot on a job site, just working on a job site and, you know, framing in a door with a really old house and it's not really level and it's kind of out of whack a little bit and so you have to customize the door frame so it sits just right for that particular door. Probably wouldn't open and close on any other door, but for that 100-year-old house and the way that's set up, it's going to work out perfectly. They're to customize it. And these guys, they could customize the message to any group of people that they came to. When there wasn't a synagogue, like the last place that they went to where he was stoned in Lister and Derby, it said they didn't even, go, they didn't even mention the synagogue. So there wasn't even really a strong Jewish population there. And some people say that, you know, even to ha- in order to even have a synagogue, you need to have at least 10 to 15 Jewish men to really form that group. So the thinking is that they didn't even really have 10 to 15 Jewish men in that Lister Derby place where he got stoned. So if their normal MO was to go in, sit in the synagogue, and reason with them from the scriptures, now they don't even have that. They just come to a group of people which is like, what the heck? Do, how do I come alongside and help them and go with something that they know? Well, what they did is they went to nature and they started to look at it. And uh, so what... It, kind of like the atheist in the woods here. This thing that I saw this week, right? So, since we're talking about nature, this one was, is kind of funny. So here's what it says. It says, an atheist is walking through the woods. And he says, what majestic trees. What powerful rivers. What beautiful animals, he said to himself. As he was walking alongside the river, he heard a rustling in the bushes behind him. He turned to look. He saw a seven-foot grizzly bear charge towards him. He ran as fast as he could up the path. He looked over his shoulder and saw that the bear was closing in on him. He looked over his shoulder again, and the bear was even closer. He tripped and fell on the ground. He rolled over to pick himself up, but saw that the bear was right on top of him. Reaching for him with his left paw, and raising his right paw to strike him. At that instant moment, the atheist cried out, Oh my God! Time stopped, the bear froze, the forest was silent. 
as a bright light shone upon the man, a voice came out of the sky. said, you deny my existence for all these years, teach others I don't exist, and even credit creation to some cosmic accident. Do you expect me to help you out of this predicament? Am I to count you as a believer? The atheist looked directly into the light and said, It would be hypocritical of me to suddenly ask you to treat me as a Christian now, but perhaps you could make the bear a Christian. (laughs) I like this guy, right? Very well, said the voice. The light went out. The sounds of the forest resumed. The bear dropped his right paw, both paws together, bowed his head and spoke. Lord, bless this food which I'm about to receive from that bounty from the Christ our Lord. Amen. That was a good one. How can I let that one go? Like, that was good. That was good. And, you know, we're talking about nature and how Paul is using that. You know, so it fits in there loosely, but it's in there. But they had the ability, right, to customize the nature and to customize the message, and they used nature to do it. They had, didn't have the scripture, they didn't have anything else, so what'd they do? They talked about, if we skip down, right, they talked about this God who made the heaven and the earth, the sea, everything in it. In the past, he left the nations go their own way. Right, he says that he gives you rain, provides you with food in and out of season. Right, so he's going to things that they know and provisions that maybe they wouldn't really think about. Or if they did, the worship of it was misplaced. And we're good at that too, you know. Mother Earth and worshiping the creation instead of the Creator. Because it's just, it's unbelievable. You look around and it's miraculous to just, I mean, just the annoying flies that get into your house, but the detailed intricacies of that fly just on their eyeball, it's just like, it's unbelievable. You know, it's amazing. And so... You're just sitting there in this awe and wondering if you're in the woods, you know, alone at night and you just look up and you see the sky and the stars and it's just overwhelming, overtakes you and it's just, you can be brought to a place of worship for that because it's so vast and so amazing and you just can't explain so much of it. In Psalm 19, David writes about how the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Right? That's where the wonder and amazement comes from. So as day after day they pour forth speech, night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens He has pictured a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from His pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. Right? So you just see, and David pours out, you know, it just pours out speech, you know, it's just, it has it, it's all there. You know, the, other, the only problem with it is it doesn't really, you know, if you don't know the Bible and what's really going on, it doesn't like bring it to this issue of sin. Like, how do you get, you know, from that stuff to sin if you wouldn't really know the Bible, you know, how do you get there? And so that's what Paul and Barnabas do. They take what they know and then they get to the issue of sin. And saying that, hey, we're just human beings and this is the true living God. And from there, you know, they explain the good news. And so they had that ability to customize the message no matter what situation they were in. And some of those, um, you know, Dan and John, they support and other missionaries who support, you know, they go in. If they're not 
native to that land, you know, they got to go in and really customize that message to what people know. And you know, I'll know this and have experienced it depending on family members, friends. You know, what you try and do is you try and customize what you heard on Sunday or maybe what you read about or heard about in such a way where, you know, something they can understand but you try and give it a spiritual slant so it's like you kind of leave them wanting more. And it's kind of a skill and it's something that needs practice but it goes a long way with people and it's really important. So, um, being able to customize it was critical for these guys. It wasn't dependent. They just didn't have to be in one area with one group of people and they were just good with that. You could change all the variables and they could just adjust and just adapt to it and be okay. So as far as being unshakable with the message, you know, you see guys that they're able to customize this thing and people and circumstances did not dictate what they were going to do or say. And you probably picture these guys if they're in life. You know, husband or wife lose a job. One of the kids gets sick. Something happens in the family. They're probably still the ones that are driving to Bible study on Wednesday night. Having more questions than answers. But just going. But just going. And people are noticing that. And people are noticing that. You know, they're unshakable. Extremely determined. And you know that at the end, it's Guaranteed to be coming from just that personal relationship. That personal relationship that they are just building with Christ day in and day out. And so what we'll do is we'll close with a little video clip um, that we have. And then uh, just to kind of just help our focus as Easter is coming up and thinking about how he's about to... It's a lot happens this week, man. This is, you know, this story is paralleled. Paralleled with Jesus Christ. I mean, they come in, worship like God, stoned, you know. Who knows, a couple days, few days, whatever. Jesus comes in, first day of the week, Palm Sunday, hey, 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 praise God, you're great, you're awesome. End of the week, He's on the cross, same people saying, crucify Him. I mean, that's a paralleled story. Not intentional, I mean, I didn't plan it that way, just having to work out that way. But it's paralleled. You know, and Jesus was another one, where He says in John, and I think we have it up here, but it said that in John, right, He didn't entrust Himself to them because he knew me. He knows what's inside of people. They're going to let you down. They're going to disappoint you. Even at their family, best of friends. It's just going to happen. So what we'll do is we'll watch this video clip and then, uh, and then we'll close in prayer together.
Right, so it's a nice video clip just to, again, keep at the forefront that, yeah, it's not about really necessarily religion and following rules, but about that relationship. That's so why we have that, you know, on our bulletin. You know, it's about a relationship with God day in and day out. And right now is the perfect week to reflect on that. So when we stand, we'll, we'll close in prayer. So God, as we look at Paul and Barnabas, and we see that these guys, Lord, they were solid. You couldn't move them, you couldn't shake them. And I mean, who knows inside of them, Lord, they may have been up and down a little bit. But when they carried out their actions, what really mattered, you know, they were solid. You couldn't shake these guys. And Jesus, you know, you yourself in heaven right now, you were solid. You were solid. I mean, you were, it said that in the Garden of Gethsemane, that you were praying so hard it was like drops of blood falling off because you didn't want to do it and go through with it. But you were solid. Could not shake you. Unshakable message, Lord. Help us, Lord, with our weaknesses, God, when sometimes our faith in you, our belief in you, is just dependent upon our situation. Help us with that. Strengthen our faith. Give us a better understanding that you're really in control in this life and that you actually really are real. And you care about all the details. And when we have you know, just more questions and answers, help us just to trust you, Lord. Help us to trust you. Pray as we go out this week, we would really make the extra effort to reflect on this you know, last week before Easter. This Good Friday, the ultimate sacrifice that you paid, all of our sins on the cross. You know, we'll never know how much it cost. Never really know. But you did it, and it's amazing. And then next time we come here, it'll be a celebration that you conquered death, and you are the true King, Lord. So, God, we thank you for this morning, God. We pray that uh, you bless our weeks, Lord, and. Um, as we try and share, maybe talk with some other people a little bit more than normal because of the time of the year. Uh, may you just, uh, I don't know, take over our words, Lord, and uh, speak through us when we're sharing with other people, Lord. And just give us an extra measure of love this week, God, to um, show people how much you care about them and love them, God. So, God, we thank you for today, and uh, just pray your blessing on everybody as they go forth. In Jesus' name. Amen.